Three keys to victory for the Ducks against Washington. That and more coming up. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I am your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, and your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. So if you have not already, like, comment, subscribe, rate, review, please, and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show, which today is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get 200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started keys to victory washington's wide receivers and bo nicks all coming up on today's show let's start with our three keys to victory number one first and foremost and this also goes in line with the news that brandon dorless was back at practice landing wasn't happy to answer questions about that we know that he's like that sometimes i personally don't really care Three big keys to beat washington number one starts and this is frankly more important to me than the other two have to pressure Michael Penix. Dorless, Birch, Mateo, Rogers, Taimani, safeties, linebackers, everybody got to be involved. Pressure has to be there on Michael Penix Jr. This is a guy who can get outside the pocket. It is not a strength of his. He is not Bo Nix in the mobility department. He, he's not a complete and total statue like Tanner McKee last year at Stanford. He is definitely not a Sam Jackson down at Cal or Cameron Ward at Washington State. Not that kind of guy. The way he beats defenses, he has time to throw in the pocket. The offense is well-schemed. He makes good reads. He's got a great arm, and he delivers ridiculously accurate and consistent deep ball throws. The timing and rhythm of this offense is so key to its success. Have to be able to pressure Michael Penix. Must do it. If that does not happen, I don't see how Oregon wins the game. Because I don't know how you stop Washington if you're not pressuring Michael Penix. At least somewhat. It doesn't have to look like it did against Colorado, which was a complete and total mauling up front. Seven sacks, 11 tackles for loss. It's not going to be like that. Washington's offensive line is much better. It probably needs to look something like the Texas Tech game. Four sacks, few tackles for loss, some solid pressure, not completely dominant. You're not going to do that against a team of Washington's caliber, but pressure has to be there. Last year against the Huskies, Oregon had zero sacks. How'd that go for us? Not very well. Now, should have still been able to win the football game despite the zero sacks. That was at home. This is on the road. If you don't sack Penix at least a couple times, either to get off the field on third down or get Washington behind the chains, that is a recipe for disaster. So key number one for the Ducks, you've got to be able to pressure Michael Penix. I don't care if it comes with four guys coming after the quarterback. I don't care if you need to bring linebackers, simulated pressures, Evan Williams. I'm sure everything will be available to this Oregon defense, and everything is going to be on the table from a playbook and play call standpoint. We've seen Evan Williams get sacks. Tysheem Johnson, Jamal Hill, and Jeff Boss have been involved. The defensive linemen have been good. We've seen Kyrie Jackson on corner blitzes. Dante Manning's been good at that over the years. Those sorts of things are going to be in play and have to be because Oregon's got to find a way to get pressure. That is big key number one. Key number two. 
And this is a worry that I have about Oregon, given how their two road games have gone this season. Did not score a touchdown until midway through the second quarter against Stanford, then eventually turned it on because Oregon is a much better team. They're not a much better team than Washington. I think these teams are, and the betting line reflects this, really on equal footing. That is what the market thinks. That's kind of what the eye test says as well. Oregon has not gotten off to outstanding starts in their two road games this year. Didn't get the offense going for a while against Stanford, who marched right down the field on their opening drive and kicked a field goal. And against Texas Tech, the drive didn't reach the 50-yard line, and Texas Tech went down the field and scored a touchdown, and he trailed 7-0. Came back to win that game. I think the experience of playing in that sort of environment down in Lubbock is really, really good for Oregon. I think that experience is immensely valuable here. But the Ducks have got to be able to start stronger than that. This is not Texas Tech. This is not Colorado. This is not Stanford. Anybody we've played. Washington is significantly better than all of those teams. If you go on the road and spot Washington 10 points, it's going to fire up the crowd, and it is going to be really difficult to come back. Not impossible, because I don't think Washington's defense is going to be able to just shut Oregon down. But that is not a place where I'd feel comfortable. So like 2019, for instance, USC went down, trailed 10-0 on the road. Obviously, you always want to start a game strong, but that's an example of a game where you don't have to be you know, at your best from the moment the game kicks off. That USC team was good, not great. Their defense under Clay Hilton was pretty bad, and that crowd, I was at that game in 2019, actually, it was a birthday present for my uh, girlfriend at the time, and it was a fantastic gift because Oregon came back and blew them out. I don't think that that's in play here against Washington. You go down two possessions early, going to be really, really tough to come back. So, by the way, Oregon, last year, hosting Washington, what were we in that game? Trailing for most of the first half. Washington scored first. We didn't score a touchdown until late in the second quarter. Then it was a bunch of back and forth. But the crowd was not in that game. Like, they were up for it, of course, because it was Washington. But the team wasn't feeding off it, I don't think, in the same way because of how Washington started the game, right? It kind of takes that air out, and you need those plays to inject the energy back into it, which Oregon did, and then didn't make enough plays late in the game, specifically on the defensive side of the ball. So, pressuring Penix, starting strong, first two keys. I have listed these top three keys to the game in the order of importance for me. I'm curious as to your thoughts as well. YouTube comments or Twitter, hit me up uh, or join subtext. You can talk with me one-on-one, get priority mailbag questions and get uh, my immediate reaction to news as it rolls in. So key number three, avoiding penalties. This is something I've been really encouraged by because it was horrible against Texas Tech and then it got better but still wasn't great against Hawaii and then it got better against Colorado and then it was its best it's been so far this season against Stanford. I'm not saying Oregon has to play a perfectly clean game with no penalties in order to win. Against the Cardinal, it was two penalties for 20 yards. I would take that. And penalties are going to play a really big key in this game. Now, a lot of media narratives I've seen out there nationally are saying this is going to be a big uh, a big shootout, going to be a lot of points scored. I think that's far more likely than a defensive slugfest. Excuse me which kind of happened for about a half of football last year. The defenses won the second quarter. Then the third quarter came along and it was touchdown, 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 back and forth, back and forth. They went in a seesaw affair. Oregon this year is averaging 64 penalty yards per game. 
which is not great. And you would like to see them be probably about 20 yards below that number. I think 40 yards of penalties or fewer, and Oregon's going to be all right. Got to avoid the procedural penalties offensively along the line. Can't have those false starts. I know it's a hostile environment. Got to be able to clean that sort of stuff up. The biggest thing, though, for the Ducks is you can't give Washington extra chances. This is a difficult offense to stop because of their talent. You know exactly what they're going to do, right? You don't know the route concept on every play, obviously. But you know they're going to line up and throw the football. That's what they want to do. That's what they're going to do. They'll run it every now and then. It's not a feature of their offense. It's just there to keep you balanced. It's the way my brother feels about cheese on a pizza. He puts it there because he feel like, feels like it has to be. But it's not actually why he's eating pizza. He wants everything else. Right? It's just making it technically pizza by putting a sprinkle of cheese on there. Washington technically has balance offensively with the way they run. They want to throw the football. And when you have an opportunity to get off the field on third down and eight, you got to be able to do it. And you got to be able to avoid penalties if they make a mistake or if Oregon makes a play defensively, cannot give them second and third chances. They've just got too much talent. They'll beat you. That's the way it'll go. So three keys for the game. Pressuring Penix, starting strong, avoiding penalties. Washington, by the way, averages 94 penalty yards a game. Not great. If you win that battle by 40 or 50 yards, those are some of those hidden yards that Dan Lanning talks about. And I think that could be a big advantage for the Ducks if they play a clean game. So we'll see how that all plays out. But those are my keys to victory. Let me know what you think the keys to victory are. Drop them below. Oregon, according to FanDuel, is a three-point underdog against the Huskies. Now, home field is worth about three points. Meaning, as I said earlier, the betting market is telling you these are roughly even teams. If you think Oregon's going to win, Oregon plus three is available. If you don't think Oregon's going to win, Washington minus three is available. If you want to stay away from it and bet something else, FanDuel's got you covered. Snap into action this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is easy to use. They've got spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on. Kick off the NFL season. Keep Keep it rolling and get your college football gambling fix as well. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. A couple people out there want me to edit out the second segment. Look, I'm just telling you, I got to do everything I can to give you the best product possible here on the show. I owe that to you. It's a responsibility or an obligation, perhaps both, to give you the best possible product that I can. Can't just go an entire broadcast without taking a sip. So, uh, that's why I mute the mic, though. I know you don't want to listen to that. I know you do want to send in mailbag questions. You've all done it for quite some time now, which I appreciate and I love as a part of the show. YouTube comments or Twitter. If you want priority mailbag access, chatting with me one-on-one, getting my reaction to uh, the news and everything and such, join the Locked on Ducks subtext community. Link in the description below wherever you listen to or watch this show. This question from Kenyon Barner 3027 I'm going to go out on a limb and say that is an ode or an an, an homage to one of the great Oregon running backs of all time, right? I don't know. Let me know. I figure it is. 
Hey, Spencer, big fan of yours. Question about the defense. Do you think we need to be physical with the Washington wide receivers in order to mess up timing for Penix? I'm also very attentive to details, and I notice Washington's right tackle normally doesn't put his hands down when Washington goes for a pass. Hope it's something Dan notices for a competitive edge. Well, a lot of times when you're seeing that, most likely, Mr. Barner, is in a third and 11, everybody knows you're passing the ball. Like, that's that's not a mystery, right? Like, everybody knows it's going up in the air. When you got Michael Penix as as your quarterback, that is especially true. It's not, you know, Braxton Burmeister back there, call a screen or a quarterback run or something like that. No, it's just, you're going to throw the football. I'd say with regards to putting your hand in the ground, I don't have any data or anything to support the notion that it's one way or the other. Uh, I'm also not super in tune with offensive line technique. In theory, yeah, like when you're down on the goal line in a goal line package, you don't have any offensive linemen who are standing up because they don't need to, you know, uh, have that kind of drop step to, you know, defend against an edge rusher. But all those sorts of tendencies, here's what I can assure you. All those sorts of tendencies and details and tiny stuff like that, coaches and position coaches are always looking for that kind of stuff. So if there's something to that, which again, I don't know, I guarantee you the staff has noticed. If you've noticed it, they've definitely noticed it. There also might be nothing to it, in which case the staff is never going to bring it up. I know for one thing that if I were to ever ask Dan Lanning a question, I wouldn't uh, bring up something like that lest I get uh, kind of body bagged like James Franklin did to some poor reporter. My goodness. I, I don't know if you guys saw that. Uh, I know that Lanning has certainly had his moments with the media where he's, uh, you know, a little bit hostile or a little bit, uh, you know, aggressive. And frankly, I understand it. Like if I had to come out and answer questions all the time from a group of people who, you know, cover football, but don't necessarily coach football or know what that all entails, I could get annoyed too. So like, I understand it and I don't really care. But James Franklin gets asked a question about Drew Aller, the Penn State quarterback, throwing deep, and he, and he just lays into the guy saying, like, you're, you're making my skin crawl, saying that you, you, you want our quarterback to just throw it deep no matter what. Like, you're speaking Japanese, man. Like, it's, it's a pretty epic takedown, I got to say. Uh, and I'm here for it. Like, if you don't want to get owned like that, ask good questions. Simple point plank, end of, end of story. Uh, to the first part of your question, the wide receivers, should we be pressing them in order to mess up uh, the timing for Michael Penix? In select circumstances, yes, we should. And I think that last year, something that burned Oregon quite a bit was whether it was a coaching decision stylistically, or philosophically is the better word, or whether it was a decision made because of personnel, Looked like Oregon last year played a lot of off-zone coverage. Well, that didn't work. And I think this year, through the first five games, I've seen a lot more corners playing closer to the line of scrimmage. I think that's because Dan Lanning, and I'm speculating here, and Tosh Lupoi and Chris Hampton and everyone feel they have the personnel to be able to do that. Because if you have receivers that are as good as Washington's, you've got to be able to run with them. And I think Kyrie Jackson can do that, and I think Jaleel Florence can do that. And if you've got the safeties over the top to help, you can play some two-man. You can you know, have, have them play a trail technique if you're going Tampa 2. Like, you can afford those sorts of decisions, or you could even go press coverage and cover one or a cover three situation. Heck, maybe they believe in them enough to do that. Here's what you can't have happen. And this is, I think, what happened last year a number of times, 
is Oregon knew we can't let these guys go over the top. And guess what? They went over the top. For, for two touchdowns, Bennett Williams got burned of over 50 yards in the second half. That can't happen. That can't happen. Now, is being physical with the wide receivers an approach to help combat that? Yes, it is. Not giving talented wide receivers a free release is certainly a defensive tactic to make things difficult offensively. Here's the wrinkle that offensive coordinators have come with in the last several years. They use a lot of motion or stacked concepts or bunch concepts to where you can't press right up to the line of scrimmage. So anytime you see a bunch or a stack, what you will see defensively is you'll have one corner up on the top guy, either at the top of the triangle or the top of the stack, right up at the line of scrimmage, and the guy behind him is off. Because if you were to go right next to each other and both press up at the line of scrimmage, it's too easy to make a rub route that creates an opening in, in the back end of your defense. So the aggressiveness of Oregon with their secondary, I think is going to be pretty telling early in this game of how much they trust their team to not get beat over the top. Because that was a problem last year, even though they played a lot of soft zone coverage last year. And really, that requires a prolific pass rush. So example, I'm a Seahawks fan. And I know that upset some Oregon fans, but like, it's who I am. So take it or leave it. And clearly a lot of you take it, which I greatly, greatly appreciate. So the Legion of Boom back in the day was based out of Pete Carroll's cover three defense, which had a strong safety come into the box, two corners responsible for a deep third, a free safety over the top. At the peak of the Legion of Boom, you had Earl Thomas over the top, who's one of the best ball hawking safeties I have ever seen. The guy was involved on every single play. You had Richard Sherman on one side, playing man or zone and locking down that half of the field. You had Cam Chancellor in the box as a big hitting safety. And then in the other deep third, for the most part, you had a mix of guys like Byron Maxwell or Jeremy Lane, Brandon Brown, right? It was kind of a revolving door. But with that particular coverage, they did not always press. They did not always play a press, uh, you know, on the outside, getting right up into the grill of the wide receiver. Sometimes they did, right? Sherman, I think, could kind of do whatever he wanted to, but sometimes... A lot of times they were playing off when they were sitting in that base zone, which is a seven-man coverage. The reason they could do that and get away with it so often and have it work is because their pass rush with four guys was gnarly. Michael Bennett, Cliff Averill, like you just go down the list of elite pass rushers that they had and they were able to get pressure on the quarterback with four guys. So when you're talking about playing a soft zone and giving a free release, you're talking about wanting to give routes underneath to come up and make a tackle, but it's kind of predicated on the the four rushers have to be able to disrupt the timing and sequence of the quarterback so that guys don't have time to get down the field. Because if you're sitting off, right, then it takes even longer for a long developing route to you know come to fruition for a quarterback. And if he's not going to have time, he's going to have to dump it off underneath and then you come up and make tackles of defense. So I'm curious to see how aggressive they are in the secondary for sure. I think it can be a strategy if you've got the personnel to do it. And Kyrie Jackson's that sort of guy. But this is a big test for Jalil Florence. This is a big test for Dante Manning and everybody else who's going to be covering these Washington wideouts. Because make no mistake about it, those are three NFL dudes. Roma Dunze, probably a first rounder. Jalen McMillan and Jalen Polk, probably second or third round draft picks. Those are NFL caliber wide receivers. And if you feel like you can press them, I'm all in favor of it. 
but you can't get beat over the top because that is how this Washington team thrives. And I want to see them be more aggressive. But you also have to coach them in a way and make defensive calls in a way that doesn't allow for Washington to pull off the big pass plays. It's a constant cat and mouse game and a difficult one to play. But certainly I expect to see the corners more up in the grills of Washington wide receivers than they were a season ago. Great question. Uh, More to get to on today's show, including that man, Bo Nix. Bo knows. Bodacious, baby. Gosh, what do we expect from our quarterback? Well, We don't expect him to have to use LinkedIn jobs to find uh, qualified candidates, but you can certainly do that because these days, every new potential hire can feel like a high stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That is why you have to check out LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free, which is pretty darn neat. Small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one. That's numero uno in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. That's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Okie dokie. Let's get into it, shall we? Bo Nix. What about that man, Bo Nix? Bodacious. Those signs will be at game day, we're sure, as will Old Crimson. I hope Cougar fans absolutely give Pat McAfee the business. He deserves it. This from uh, DuckRon626. Okay, Star Wars, here we come. Washington is the Death Star. I promise this is a football question. Washington is the Death Star. Bo Nix is Luke Skywalker. Can he penetrate the Death Star defenses and destroy it? Can the Death Star defenses stave him off? Tune in on Saturday noontime and on the Bat Channel. (laughs) Okay, okay, I'm mixing metaphors, but you get the idea. I don't know if this was intended as a question, but I thought it was funny, and I wanted to bring it up on the show. Because Bo Nix so far this season has been good in literally every game. Colorado, he threw an interception. Guess what? Didn't matter. Defense was so good. Awesome. Texas Tech, no interceptions, moved us up and down the field, made one almost disastrous throw, but got away with it. That ended up being the go-ahead field goal and, you know, game-winning field goal, essentially. Yeah, that was awesome. That was that was really, really good. Th- th- this guy all season long has been exceptional. He was very good against Washington last year, by the way. Had a really, really good game. And Oregon's defense just let him down, unfortunately, which stunk, and I really... Really, 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 really hope we avenge that on Saturday. And I'll have my prediction on uh, tomorrow's show. Tune in for that. But if Bonix is going, or if Oregon's going to win this game, Bonix is going to have, a, have to have a good game. I don't know that Bonix has to have the game of his life. I, I think that's kind of an easy answer to say, oh, Bonix has to be amazing. Bonix has to be good. Don't get me wrong. You can't have Michael Penix on one side and, you know, Bo Nix playing, you know, like he did at Auburn on the other, which I don't expect at all. I don't think this has to be, you know, Washington State 2022 where Bo Nix goes for, what was it, like 430 yards and five touchdowns or anything like that. I don't, I don't think he has to put up those sorts of numbers here. He does have to get us into the right plays offensively. He's got to make sure that the blocking assignments are correct against a good Washington front four with talent. They haven't been super productive this year. I'm not taking them lightly. I, I think the unit offensively that has to be great for the Ducks is the offensive line. I like. I, I feel so confident in Bo Nix at this point in and how he's going to play because he's just done it week after week after week after week. And I talked about it after uh, the the Stanford game 
a bit during the bye week, like, don't take this guy for granted. Like, we, we're we've come to expect such a high level of play from him and he delivers it over and over and over and over again. And we should never take that for granted. So that's the first thing. But the second thing is I think his offensive line's got to be great. I don't worry about him in pass protection. They've been outstanding this year. You know what Oregon did last year that should have won them the football game and didn't ran for over 300 yards on the ground. Washington could not tackle Bucky Irving or Noah Whittington. And this is going to have to be Jordan James, as we know, since Whittington, unfortunately, is out for the season. But I, I just look at what Oregon is bringing to the table offensively. And I'm really confident in Bo Nix. And I expect him to be around 300 yards. And, and look, it depends on the game flow. We might need Bo Nix to go for 350. We might only need him to go for 250. It depends on how a number of things go. Like, what if Oregon picks off Michael Penix, returns it back to the 20-yard line, and that's one of Oregon's touchdown drives? Well, then his stats might not look as impressive afterwards. He might have 40 or 50 fewer passing yards than he otherwise might have had. But again, for him, the key is to protect the football. Don't give that Washington crowd juice. Turnovers, it's like a tequila shot for a home crowd. Squeeze a little lime in there afterwards. Mm, they're ready to go. Few things a crowd loves more than a turnover. Only thing is probably a touchdown. That, that, that's the only thing that will make him go crazier. So protect the football, be yourself, and Bo Nix will be just fine. Offensive line, show me that the last two weeks that Oregon's played are the norm, blocking up front in the run game, rather than what we saw against Texas Tech. That's what I want to see from that offensive line. Be able to control the clock. Oregon had a 10-minute drive in the fourth quarter last year. Tragically only resulted in three points. But if they do that again, they run for over 250 yards in this game. I love their chances. Absolutely love their chances to win the football game. Because the best defense sometimes is a good offense that can keep Michael Penix on the sideline. How do you do that? Ground game. Ground and pound. So that's what I think about that. Last one here with Rick. It's looking more and more like... Uh, it will be Ducks and Huskies playing for the Pac-12 title. He says, obvious, lots of time to play still, which is very true. Do you see a path for both two teams to make the college football playoffs? Say Ducks win this week but lose the rematch for the title, no other losses. Um, no. The The answer is no because I, I don't... The more I look at Oregon and Washington, I need to see how they play against each other this week and, and maybe the following week as well. But is it possible for them to go 11-1 and or 12-0 and in the regular season? Sure. I just don't think it's likely. This is a really good conference. Washington still has to go at USC and at Oregon State. They play Washington State and they play Utah at home. In addition to this game against Oregon. That's a really tough schedule. Now, in the situation you described, the team that loses this game wins out and goes 12-1, and wins the Pac-12. I think that team is more likely to get into the playoff than a 12-1 and team that was unbeaten in the regular season but doesn't have the conference championship. I mean, you'd have to have that, right? That, that would be fascinating to say the least. I don't anticipate that situation arising, but a conference championship is going to be more valuable than a team that doesn't win one. But we saw TCU lose the Big 12 title game last year, go 12-1 and and make the playoff. But they weren't going up against an 11-1 team in the conference championship game. They were going up against a 9-3 and team in the conference championship game in Kansas State. So I don't see a path 
in that world, that doesn't mean that the loser of this game is out of it. I think there's a long way to go. Both teams have got quality opponents on the schedule, losable football games on the schedule, and there's a long way to go. I think we keep our attention here right now, but only, the, the winner of this game is better positioned to make the Pac-12 title game and college football playoff. They are not automatically going to get into either one because there's a long way to go. Appreciate everyone listening. I'll see you next time. Prediction coming tomorrow with Roman Tomashoff of Locked On Huskies. See you then. Until next time, have a wonderful rest of your day and go Ducks.